Hello listeners, I wanted to tell you about something that I use and was part of its inception, Joyful.Gifts. Joyful.Gifts is a service that makes giving gifts very easy and joyful. You tell us who you want to give gifts to, set a budget, and then we select buy and ship the gift automatically to every occasion while you have peace of mind. Best of all, you actually save money since the software continuously mines the web for the best prices for you. If you want to give it a try, it's at joyful.gifts. No www, no.com. Just type joyful.gifts in your browser and you're set to go. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the History of the Cards, episode 55, Poisoned Figs. When we last stopped, Pope Isaac, who was appointed by Abdelaziz, was toward the end of his reign in Egypt. He passed away in 689 after further renovating the Church of St. Mark, and like John the Merciful, he was buried there. He did not stay long in his office, and no one in his circle stood out to replace him. So the election to ordain his replacement became very contentious. The Alexandrian clergy were split into two factions, based on the two main churches there, the church in St. Mark in the periphery of the city, and the Angelion, a large church in urban Alexandria. The Angelion called for the head of the Enaton monastery, a certain monk named John, to take the office, and the St. Mark church clergy called for a certain victor a priest in a monastery in the Delta to take the office. Both of them seem to have been good candidates, but again, with these divisions, essentially the decision was ceded to Abdelaziz. The governor of Alexandria, perhaps to protect his own position or to end the deadlock, sent Abdelaziz telling him that the people have chosen John, the head of the Enathan monastery, which wasn't really true. The people were divided. For the governor, John worked because, in addition to being a head of a monastery nearby, he was also close to Isaac, the secretary. So it made sense for the governor to try and endear himself to the powerful secretary in Helwan. Abdelaziz, upon hearing of this news, as expected, called John and the governor of Alexandria to his palace to decide if John is a good fit or not. John came with a small entourage, one of whom was a Syrian monk named Simon, who was John's disciple and assistant. The group met Abdelaziz, and well, we kinda don't really know what happened next. In the sanitized version in the history of the patriarchs, which absolutely makes no sense, a bishop spoke out out of nowhere and objected to John's ordination and said that Simon, his obscure Syrian assistant, should be the patriarch instead. This miraculously convinced everyone at the spot and Simon became the patriarch. In perhaps a clever way to tell his readers to read between the lines, George the Archdeacon writes, quote, 
When the emir looked at them and heard their words with regard to a foreigner whom they had not known at all for more than two days, he bade them with God's help to take him and ordain him patriarch. Unfortunately, we do not have any non-sanitized versions. A modern historian's speculation on what really happened is all over the place. Most likely, Abdelaziz did not like Jean, a powerful and a charismatic figure, and asked the group to pick someone else. They responded by picking his disciple, with the understanding that he would be a figurehead, with Jean really being in charge. Abdelaziz was then a bit intrigued that the bishops did not pick an Egyptian and pushed back on their choice. But the bishops assured him that Simon is well qualified, so Abdelaziz eventually allowed his ordination. In Alexandria, Simon was officially ordained as patriarch in the Angelion church, and immediately after, he, quote, set his spiritual father Jean over the affairs of the church, while he devoted himself to the study of the holy scriptures, and as long as Jean lived, the father patriarch did not occupy himself with any of the affairs of the church, but gave all that up to Jean, his father. John ended living for three more years, dying in 692, and leaving Simon in a really tough spot, a patriarch who is only meant to be a frontman. To connect things together, 692 was the same year that Abdul Malik finally defeated his rivals and became the sole caliph. Back in Egypt, Simon continued to live the life of a monk, isolated, quiet, and in the words of our source, he did not associate with the bishops or clergy, and for this, he was hated by the people of Alexandria. An attempt was actually made on his life with poisoned figs that left him between life and death for about 40 days. And it wasn't Abdelaziz or the Arabs who tried to assassinate Simon. No, it was actually the Alexandrian clergy. Eventually, the word reached Abdelaziz, who ordered that those priests be arrested and burned alive under the lighthouse of Alexandria for all to see. Simon, aware of how much damage this public display of cruelty will cause him, actually went to the governor and begged him not to burn the priests. Abdelaziz, in a compromise, spared the clergy, but still burned the merchants who supplied them with the actual poison. Clearly, Simon's patriarchy was not working out, and things were spiraling out of control. He needed another Jean to carry the weight, while he can continue to be only a figurehead. Enter our historian, John of Nicot. He, with Simon's encouragement and support, took charge and became the real Pope behind the isolated Simon. Now, this is going to be one of the really ugly moments in our story. So, just a reminder, this is a secular history podcast that tells the history of the cops as a people, with all the complications that come with that. 
John of Nico was a no-nonsense kind of a guy and intended to impose order and unity in the church. Right after he started, an incident happened in one of the monasteries where a woman, possibly a nun, the source uses the phrase a version from a monastery, and a monk had a sexual relationship. Upon discovery, John of Nico came down extremely hard on the monk, quote, inflicting a painful beating. Ten days later, the monk died from his injuries, and John had to deal with the fallout. Our bishop and historian was then put on a trial before his fellow bishops, and he was removed from his position and stripped down from his rank and went back to being just a monk. This again completely left the Coptic Church with only Simon as its nominal and ineffective head. And Abdelaziz, seeing the success of his brother in Syria in really asserting the position of Islam, took advantage. Now, just to give you an idea about the relationship between Islam and Christianity at this point, the Christian state, Byzantium, around the same time in 695, were in the middle of another civil war that saw the last of the Heraclean dynasty, Justinian II, lose his throne and his nose. The Arabs were aware of that civil war, and basically Abdelaziz summoned the bishops and gave them a speech about the failures of the Romans and the religion, which also happened to be the bishop's religion. In addition to issues with John of Nico and Simon, the taking of female slaves as concubines became popular due to the constant raiding of Byzantine territories by the Syrian army, who brought back these young Roman women as slaves. In addition to the Muslims, Christians, at least the nominal ones, also bought the slaves coming from the land of war and took them as concubines. A development that the bishops fought tooth and nail, forbidding those who took concubines from participating in liturgy and taking communion. These guys then went and complained about the bishops to Abdelaziz. As to them, the clergy were cutting them off their community for something that was legally acceptable in the eyes of the state. By then, Abdelaziz had been in Egypt for close to 10 years and was powerful enough to impose his will on the bishops. So, he ordered that all of them come to his palace in Helwan and stay there away from their community. A clever move that essentially crippled the ability of those communities to organize and communicate. And eventually, with the lack of the guiding hands of the bishops, the lines between Christianity and Islam starting to blur. But that's a more complicated development that took a place over the next hundred years or so. After being around the bishops for a bit, Abdelaziz actually rebuked them for their obsession about their doctrinal differences, as he not only called the Miaphysite bishops to his palace, but also the Milkite ones and all the other bishops from the other minor sects, such as the Julianists. And they, of course, continuously argued who was right and who was wrong, involving the emir in the middle. Finally, after getting a prime seat listening to their arguments, 
Abdelaziz decided to ban the celebrations of liturgy altogether. For, quote, the Christians are in error, giving God a wife and a son and uttering many falsehoods in their religion. A line straight out of Syria and Abdel Malik propaganda. So, by the beginning of the 8th century, the average Copt outside Helwan had no bishop, no liturgies, and a nominal absent patriarch in Alexandria. And even so, that nominal patriarch mostly kept out of the action, like the two patriarchs before him, Simon would end up in prison under Abdelaziz. Basically, a priest from India or Ethiopia, depending on the source, came and asked Simon to ordain a bishop for his locality. Simon, learning to what happened with his predecessor Isaac, told the priest that he cannot do anything without the emir permission, so he should go to Abdelaziz instead. The priest then went on his way to the governor, but before actually securing a meeting, the bishop of the Julianist, who was in Helwan, met with the priest and ordained him a bishop in secret without the involvement of Abdelaziz. This was obviously done to win that locality to the Julianist cause in their battle with the larger Miaphysite church. The move seemed to initially succeed, and the priest and his newly ordained bishop managed to leave Helwan in secret and successfully travel a significant distance, 20 days of travel or so. But they were eventually caught and sent to the caliph himself, Abdul Malik. The priest somehow managed to escape, but the bishop and his entourage could not. The caliph saw the action of communicating with a foreign power as an act of treason, and he killed the bishop and his entourage by dismemberment, sending their hands and feet to Abdelaziz in Egypt with a message. Quote, It seems that you do not know what takes place in your own country. Namely, that the patriarch of the Christians who lives in Alexandria has sent information of the affairs of Egypt to India. Now, when you read this letter, you must inflict upon him 200 stripes and take from him 100,000 dinars and send the money to us by the invoice who came to you without delay. Abdelaziz was clearly not happy, and he assumed that the patriarch, Simon, was behind this. So, he sent men to arrest him and bring him to Helwan. In there, after a lengthy back and forth between the patriarch and the governor, where Simon explained that he refused the request of the priest, but Abdelaziz assumed that he was lying and threatened him with torture, eventually, at some point, the two men agreed that Abdelaziz would give the patriarch three days to present evidence of his innocence. The patriarch, isolated and with no resources, basically went home and did nothing but pray. Fortunately, this was enough. Remember the priest who escaped? Well, he didn't know where to go after his close call with the caliph's men. So he went back to Egypt and was seen by one of the monks who served the Pope as his secretary. The monk then immediately took him and went to Simon who explained what happened to the priest 
and promised him to do his best to convince Abdelaziz to spare his life if he was to tell him the truth. So, by the third day, the priest, Simon, and his monk scribe all went to the governor, where Simon started by, quote, The authority of men comes from the authority of God, and he who exercises authority in this world must be long-suffering and willing, like God most high, to grant mercy with generosity. Now, I desire that you give me the promise of God to me and to those present with me in regards to this occurrence, that you will do them no harm, but will pardon them for God's sake, and then the truth shall be made known to your lordship. Abdelaziz nodded, and the priest told him what happened. The governor then ordered that the priest be imprisoned, technically sparing his life. And as for the Julianist bishop who ordained clergy for the priest, well, the emir ordered that he should be crucified. Also, to be fair, it is unclear whether the order was carried out or not, as it seems that Simon requested that his life be spared as well. Eventually, after three years of having the bishops away from their localities and banning liturgies, Abdelaziz, most likely to set up his son to follow him in ruling Egypt, returned the bishops to their seats and even allowed two more churches to be built in Helwan, which was growing fast as the seat of government. He and his brother Abdel Malik had an interesting dynamic. Abdel Malik wanted to appoint his son as caliph after him, while Abdel Aziz hoped that he himself will become the caliph after his brother dies and then gave Egypt to his son Al-Azbukh. Whatever the case, toward the end of his reign, the bishops were released to earn their loyalty toward Abdul Aziz as opposed to his brother, and Abdul Aziz's son was groomed for succession. Bob Simon, just before that critical transition of power, got really sick and looked like he will die soon. His last wish was to tour the monasteries in the desert between Alexandria and Helwan, and by the end of his trip, he passed away and was buried in his original monastery, the Enatan, at the western end of Alexandria. Now, for the next three years, the office of the patriarch was left open, with Abdelaziz's hand clearly visible. Asanasius, his Syrian-slash-Coptic secretary, have either recommended, or more likely moderated, the governor wishes by appointing Gregory, Remember him? The bishop who led the secret meeting from last week's episode? Anyway, Asanasius appointed this Gregory as a sort of acting financial steward of the church. In the meantime, Abdelaziz started to step away and let his son, Al-Azbukh, fully take charge. Al-Azbukh was not his father. He only inherited the cruelty but not the wisdom. Abdelaziz, for all his flaws, was actually an efficient ruler. He kept the peace, initiated a major building program, 
and while he periodically persecuted the Christians, it was never done out of a personal vendetta or plain cruelty. If anything, he moderated the aggressive stand by his brother, and a copt in Egypt fared a little better than a Christian in Syria, and much better than the poor souls in Anatolia who were raided every single year until their homes became a wasteland. So all in all, Abdelaziz was actually okay, especially compared to the brief period where his son was in charge. In the words of the history of the patriarchs, Al-Azbagh was a hater of the Christians, a shedder of blood, a wicked man, like a fierce lion. Worse, depending on how you read the sources, he either had a Christian lover or a very close friend, and the relationship complicated his relationship with Christianity. At the time, monks were exempt from taxation, and generally left to be which made financial sense, as many who could not afford the taxes would end up working for the monastery as monks, which would then be taxed as an organization, basically relieving the pressure on the poorest of the poor. Al-Azbakh not only changed his policy and taxed individual monks, he basically branded them and decreed that the monasteries accept no more monks. The branding was done, so when the officials tour the monastery, they can quickly figure out if the monasteries have accepted any new and branded monks or not. Also, he assigned a yearly surcharge on the bishops of 2,000 dinars, a significant amount considering that there were probably around 50 to 70 bishops at the time. Lastly, he took the unprecedented step of requiring big arcs to convert to Islam, was our source recording a certain beater in Upper Egypt and a Seodor in Mariut close to Alexandria converting. Was them, quote, a body of priests and laymen not to be numbered on account of their multitude converted. Now, this conversion incidence is probably the retinue of the officials of the big arcs, and in the hundreds, a minor incidence considering a total population of around 3 million. The Christians so far in Egypt far outnumbered the small Muslim soldier aristocracy. But it is significant in the sense that it was the first recorded incidence of mass conversion. Also, to be fair, even by the admission of the Christian sources, Al-Azbah Christian lover slash friend was, quote, a worse enemy to the Christians than any other and excited his friend to every kind of persecution. So there's definitely more to Al-Azbah behavior than rational financial measures. Fortunately so, his reign ended quickly. The Coptic sources has a fascinating story which I think is worth telling, even if not necessarily 100% historically accurate. On Easter 705, Al-Azbah went to a church in Helwan during the celebration. There, he saw a picture of St. Mary and Jesus Christ in her lap. Intrigued, he asked, 
who is represented in this picture? To which the Christians in the church responded by, This is Mary, the mother of God. Then he became upset with the concept of a God as a child and having a mother of God, and spat in the picture, saying, If I find an opportunity, I will root out the Christians from this land. Who is this Christ that you worship him as a God? Then, on the same night, he saw a dream where he was being judged before Christ and was told that his life would be taken away from him. The next day, he relayed the dream to his father Abdelaziz. Then, he got a fever and died. His father, heartbroken, died within a couple of months after Al-Azbakh. Historically, we know for sure that Al-Azbakh did indeed die suddenly around Easter 705 AD. But the circumstances of that death is as expected shrouded in mystery. So, who really knows? At any rate, at the death of both father and son, Asanasius, the secretary, traveled to Syria to meet with the caliph to deliver the news and manage the transition. There, Abdul Malik was elated that he no longer have to worry about his brother competing for the caliph position with his older son. He quickly dispatched one of his younger sons, Abdullah, to be the governor of Egypt with two directives. One, eliminate all the traces of Abdelaziz's administration. Two, tighten up the finances and forward the revenue of Egypt to Damascus. In that period of transition, the Coptic hierarchy in Alexandria took advantage and after a three-year break, picked a patriarch. The new patriarch, like his predecessor, was a monk named Alexander from the Enoton Monastery. Pope Alexander seemed to have been picked without much fanfare or drama at the last few days of Abdelaziz's life with his approval. Unfortunately, Alexander's reign became troubled right away. Abdullah, the new governor, arriving in Egypt in 705, quickly worked to raise the revenue and get rid of the administration of Abdelaziz. The Coptic secretaries, Isaac and Athanasius, who were either forced into retirement or arrested and imprisoned, depending on the source. Pope Alexander, when he traveled to Helwan to pay his respects to the governor, was also arrested and imprisoned. Abdullah set a ransom to release the Pope for 3,000 dinars, a sort of tribute to accept Alexander as the head of the church. As our source puts it, quote, In those days, the blessed Alexander went forth and traveled to Masr to salute Abdullah, according to the custom among patriarchs and governors. But when Abdullah saw him, he said, Who is this man? They replied, This is the father and patriarch of all the Christians. So he took him and gave him over to one of his guards, to whom he said, Humiliate him in whatever way you wish, until he shall pay you three thousand dinars. Alexander did not have the money, 
So he stayed in prison until an aristocrat suggested to Abdullah that he should release the Pope to collect the money as donations and he will personally tour Egypt with him to ensure that it happens. Eventually, the money was raised and Abdullah accepted Alexander as the patriarch. Now, the new governor raised an on and off wars with Byzantium and the heavy religious propaganda of his father took a very aggressive stand with the Copts. Perhaps nothing sums up Abdullah's stand toward the Copts than a famous quote attributed to him. You are to me like the Romans, and if a man slays one of you, God will forgive him, because you are the enemies of God. His two years reign would be the start of the long 8th century, truly one of the darkest chapters in the history of the Copts. Stories of victory and triumph are cool and all, but we are about to head into a century that's so close to 19 bloody rebellions. All of them ultimately failed with all kinds of dramatic twists and turns. Really, the Copts were not supposed to survive the 8th century. Sometime, triumph is not a flashy military victory or a successful rebellion, but rather when you survive a century that was meant to be the last chapter of your story. Thank you for listening, farewell, and until next week.